Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. I'm sitting in the Savoy Hotel, and with me is uh, Michael Hampton. And talking to us is John Malden, who is the president of Millennium Wave Investments from Dallas. And his newsletter, Thoughts from the Frontline, has a million subscribers, one of whom is me. John, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Uh, I should say there are various other leading lights of the financial world sat with us, and every now and then I'm sure one of them's going to pop in with a question, and if they do, I'll, I'll introduce them um, when that question happens. But um, let's uh, just talk about the, uh, the events in the, in the markets over the last month or so, John. Um, I had a, an email in my inbox today telling me to sell everything except major um, gold shares. We're on the verge of a 1929 meltdown. Um, is that a little excessive in your view? No, no, no. That, that's a lot excessive. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, that type of doom and gloom stuff um, is, is just so ubiquitous and it, it, it panders to people's fears. Um, I mean, it, there are some very, very real problems out there, and I think anybody that's been reading me for more than a few years realizes that I'm not a Pollyanna. I've, I've been expecting a recession in the U.S. Uh, since late last year. Um, and I still think we're going to see a recession uh, uh, due to the uh, repricing of housing assets and, and the wealth effect on the U.S. consumer. Um, what's happened is, is we in, in a subset of the U.S. Uh, credit markets, in the subprime world, um, there were ratings given by the rating agencies uh, in, in a certain exotic uh, uh, type of security called a CDO or collateralized debt obligation that were in the markets, I mean, I was writing about it in, in like, I think, December and January that were clearly mispriced. And the markets, you know, this month realized, oh, it really is this mispriced. And anybody who's got these assets in their portfolio, these things can go down anywhere. You know, they were AAA rated, but they could be off 50 to 100%. Um, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly, def, you know, small niche, but it's going to spread 50 to $100 billion worth of losses over a lot of people. Um, we've seen two German banks already have to be rescued. Um, three or four hedge funds have blown up. Um, we'll probably see a few more hedge fund blow-ups. Um, there may be other European banks that have some serious issues because, as it turns out, that was who was buying, European and Asian banks and institutions were who was buying these these, these securities. I'll, I'll try to drop back, and, and you can go to uh, my newsletter at, at www.2000wave.com, and my newsletter for this last week tries to explain this whole asset uh, 
back security issues and how it became a problem. But I'm, I'm going to try. It very well. But yeah, well, thank you. I'm going to try to do it in a nutshell here. Basically, uh, what developed over time is, is people would buy with with spotty credit records in the U.S. They would buy get a subprime mortgage and they'd have to pay two or three points more. Um, so that you could price in the risk for, for higher defaults. And in the early days, you actually had to, you know, put 20% more, uh, you know, deposits down and prove that you could make the payment. You know, surprise, bankers wanted to be repaid. Um, then they would, you know, what developed over time, the, banker, the, the, the mortgage banks, instead of keeping them on their books, would consolidate them, uh, give them to an investment bank who would put them in at what's called a, a residential mortgage-backed security. And they would sell, and they would go to the rating agencies, and the rating agencies would rate the first 80% or the first tranche. There were pools, there were groups, but they're called tranches. And so they, they would rate 80% of these, uh, of this first tranche, as AAA, because it, 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 it makes sense in one sense, even though it's subprime paper, and each individual paper, piece of paper, could never get a AAA rating. <clears throat> you would have to see 40% of the mortgages in that pool lose 50% of their values before that first tranche would ever lose any of its money. So, you know, I would argue that even with the egregious policies that uh, the loan policies which be in, in the United States, which basically in 2005-2006 they were doing these subprime uh, mortgages with no documentation uh, and what they called liar loans, where, where people could uh, basically say, this is my income. And, and people in fact did lie. Uh, about 50 to 60 percent of them lied by as much as 50 percent. <clears throat> so. The 2005-2006 the vintage loans, are. there's going to be significant defaults, significant losses uh, in those portfolios. Now, not all the AAA stuff. And the next tranche is pr that was rated AA, that's probably okay. But when you get down to the B, and then what's known as the, the, the lower B paper and the equity paper, that's a, anywhere from 6 to 8% of the bottom of the portfolio. Well... It's very likely or, or very possible that some of those 2005 and 2006 vintage loans, you're going to see more than 8% of the portfolio uh, uh, lose, you know, have losses. So that means that that triple B tranche, which was an investment grade piece of paper, could lose on some of those assets anywhere from 50 to 100% of their money, depending on what kind of paper, where the loans were from, how distributed, it, it, it's very, it, I'm, I'm simplifying way over too much, way too much, but it, but, but there was some real risk there that wasn't priced in. Well, what the investment banks would do to make sure that they could sell this triple B, the triple B rated paper to find a market for it, they would take all these triple B's papers from a lot of different asset mortgage uh, securities. And they would roll them up into one thing, one instrument called a collateralized debt obligation, or a CDO. And the the CDO uh, would then they'd go back to the rating agencies, rating agencies, and they'd rate 
this stuff that was had been rated triple B that say, well, the likelihood of default based upon past experience is so little that we're going to re-rate this old junk paper. Now we're going to say 70% of it becomes triple A. Can I ask a question? You can ask, yeah. Yeah, just to follow up on the point, they would look back at past history. Well, I've talked to somebody from Moody's who used to work at Moody's about this, and I asked him, well, how far back would you look? And he said, we'd look back five to ten years. And the problem I have with that is that we've had a bull market and, and uh, you know, a long cycle in, in property where property has basically gone up in this country, the U.K., and also in the U.S., since 1990 or 1994, depending on what country. So there's been more than 10 years of bull market there. So when they're looking back at five or 10 years of history, they're looking back at only a bull market. Is that what was going on? Well, it, it's worse than that. Um, they weren't just looking back at, at the bull market, which, you know, a bull market covers a lot of sins. But, but they were also looking at credit histories uh, from loans that, that had, you know, actual credits, credit worthiness uh, in, in, in 2000 and 2001, 2002, to loans in 2005 and 2006 that were, quite frankly, uh, and like I said, there were no documentation loans. You didn't really have to provide any pieces of paper as long as you had a reasonable credit score or, or a modest credit score. Uh, you, could, you got to self-certify your income. You didn't have to prove your income. And so it stands to, and they did uh, uh, what was known as teaser rates. So they would uh, loan you $200,000 and uh, loan it to you for the first two years at 2%. Now they were actually charging you seven or eight or nine, but you'd only pay based on 2%. <coughs> so your original payment was $333 a month or whatever. Well, when it hits the reset, interest rate reset after two years, your, your payments could go from $350 a month to $1,500 a month. Well, you qualify, they would qualify you for that loan based on $300 a month, not on the $1,500. So, consequently, there's a lot of people that, as the resets are going to hit, and they're hitting the, the, the real biggest chunk of them, the peak of resets is, is actually the first quarter of next year. So we haven't even gotten to the real problems yet. But a lot of this is, 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 is really increasing the number of foreclosures in that subprime area. So how can you look back at history when there isn't any? No, no one's ever seen you know, low-quality loans like this before well, this in history. Is, this, this is what they're going to have to explain to a jury. Because you, you can bet that the lawsuits, I mean, uh, there's just going to be massive lawsuits over this to all for all the rating agencies. I mean, this, uh, the rating agencies, basically, if, I mean, if you look at the 600-page document that went out with these CDOs, they explained their methodology, and buried down in there were the words that, oh, by the way, we're basing it on this and not on this, and here are some risk factors. I'm sure the lawyers had stuff in there. But they still sold it as triple A based on this stuff, rather than what the markets normally think of as triple A based on their company corporate ratings. Okay, so the market thinks ah, this is triple A, and they've got one concept of what that is. But the rating agencies were selling a different type of triple A. Okay. But they were putting the same name on it. And, and this is where they're going to, to really end up being culpable at the end of the day, I think, in my layman's terms, is, is that 
the market expected AAA to mean a certain something. And even though the rating agency says it doesn't mean it this time, it really wasn't clear. And, and the investment banks that were selling it were selling it. And, and I mean, and it's clear from listening to some of the, the stories of the institutions that bought this, they had been sold on the fact that it was AAA. So that was all part and parcel of the, of the marketing package. So going back to our original premise here, these investment banks rolled all this triple B paper into a collateralized debt obligation. That way they could re-rate something like 70 and, and with another, it was almost 80% of the stuff now become, becomes investment grade. And who buys it? European and Asian institutions, pension funds, banks, a few hedge funds, okay, um, I mean, relatively, in the grand scheme of things, relatively few hedge funds in terms of quantity. I mean, it, it, the fact that we haven't seen 50 hedge funds blow up, because if you've blown, you've already blown it. You've, you're, 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 you know, we may see a few more surprises, but what that tells me is there weren't a lot of hedge funds that were buying into that the was value in there, okay? Um, and in fact, I, I think when history comes back and we rewrite the numbers uh, two or three years from now, we'll find out that net-net hedge funds made money on this because there were so many of them short the paper. Um, but it was the institutions who bought this stuff. Well, now I, I, and, and, and they and that, that ended up on their assets and their books. And when this stuff started blowing up, uh, especially in Europe, it hadn't so hit, hit so much in Asia, but it will, everybody's going... What kind of exposure do you have subprime? Who, who are you? Why should I give you com overnight commercial paper? Have you got some of this in your money market? I mean, you know, and all of a sudden the credit markets freeze up in Europe. The next thing you know, they freeze up in the U.S. Uh, the investment banks are, are rewriting leverage left and right down. The yen goes, you know, 15% against you. Uh, the quant funds start having to sell because they've got redemptions coming into them. It makes the value proposition for stocks and all sorts of investments turned on their head. Um, and I mean, you can buy senior secured bank loans today that are, you know, 99.9% .9 safe. You can buy them at, you know, 95 cents on the dollar, you know, with two-year maturities. Um, you know, if I had enough money to be able to get into them, I dang sure would. I mean, I mean, we talked to one fund today that's putting a distressed fund together. I was talking to another one uh, two days ago. I mean, there's more distressed funds being put together this month to be able to go in and buy this. Because <clears throat> this stuff's going to be mispriced for the next uh, uh, three to four months. There's going to be a lot of this. I mean, you know, especially when it gets re-rated, the institutions won't be able to hold it into the paper because they're going to take this AAA stuff and it's going to be rated as junk or less. They're going to be forced to blow it out um, and it's going to go for pennies on the dollar uh, and there are going to be a lot of um, distressed debt funds that are going to make a ton of money. Yeah, you see that as a, a new opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and in fact, um, um, I mean, even the guys that have lost some money on, on one side, they're going, okay, this, this is now now gotten to the stupid side and this is an asset that you know if we can buy you know if we can buy 90 cent dollars if we can buy 85 cent dollars you know 
that sounds like a good, you know, uh, a, a good bargain. So, uh, and it won't be the institutions who are losing the money, sadly, that make the money. It'll be, you know, uh, more aggressive uh, 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 hedge funds and investors. John, do you think that... Uh, hang on a sec, Tom, let me just introduce Sorry. you. Tom Salford from Mindsight is about to speak. John, do you think that will be part of the solution? The hedge funds stepping in to buy these obligations, sort them out, and effectively become the markets, providing some uh, finance for the, for the banks, uh, allow them to move on. Is that, is that part of the solution? Uh, I absolutely think it is. I mean, it, it's um, in one sense they've been part of the problem because of the massive over leverage, blah, blah, blah. But I, I was writing in this last week's letter that, that they will end up being the solution because somebody's got to come in and step in and, and provide a market clearing price. Um, and that's not going to be uh, uh, central banks. They can't come in and, and, and buy this paper. Uh, it's not going to be investment banks. They can't expose their capital anymore. Uh, the regulators are going to be breathing down their neck. Um, it's going to be, um, it, you know, it, it, it may be pools of capital formed by the, in investment banks. I mean, I'd be surprised if a lot of the senior partners at Goldman weren't going looking at each other, going, hey, "Okay, let's let's get a fund here together real quick and and, and start you know trading." And some of the prop desks will trade it, uh, and that'll that, that'll help smooth the market out. But that's this is a two to three month process. <clears throat> the problem is on the subprime debt is we don't, we have no real idea how bad uh, it's going to get because it's going to take. Year, year and a half, you know, year, year. It'll take a year and a half to two years for us to really understand, you know, what the level of foreclosures. Well, yeah, if you're sitting on an institutional desk at, uh, you know, big name pension fund, and you're supposed to be buying bonds and whatever, uh, it's a career-ending decision to make the wrong decision right now. Um, so you're doing the safe thing. That's why treasuries are going to, you know, everybody's just, you know, it's like. It's the middle of August. Let's just play it safe. Let's figure out. Because you don't want to buy too early if the prices are still going to be going down. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's you got to be very careful. Uh, because they're paying a salary, and you want to make, be able to sure that you don't want to fall into the subprime category. You want to be able to pay your mortgage. So it, it, you end up with, a, with, with an environment that just... You know, really, way too cautious, but that's just the way. That's the way it is. Now, let's let's talk about equities because um, equities have obviously taken a big hit, and um, well, the reason that uh, that I understand why this has happened is that um, it's basically we're seeing a global margin call taking place. And that is correct. Unrelated stocks are taking a hit. Um, how much more downside do you think there is? If the U.S. goes into a recession, I think the U.S. markets could correct another 10% at least. Um, there's going to be some some buying opportunities. The, the, the world seems to uh, act somewhat in sympathy to the U.S. markets. Um, though the last few days, uh, with the Fed having cut the discount rate and basically gone to the markets and patted them on the knee and said, Daddy's home, it's going to be all right. Um, that seems to have calmed the, 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 the stock market some. I think part of what was happening too is 
because of the global uh, margin call that you talked about, the quant funds were having to sell. Um, and, uh, and everything, you know, people were selling what could sell, not what they wanted to sell. And so if you were long value and short, uh, 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 short mis- uh, un- you know, overvalued, um, the overvalued stuff wasn't selling as easily as the valued stuff, so you sold what you could. And so we end up with a very, very perverse price uh, relationships. You know, they talk about the 28 Sigma event and all that stuff. Um, but it, the bottom line is is that uh, it's not just in, in, in equities, but we've seen it in credits. Uh, <clears throat> fund that uh, uh, Nick and I are involved in and, and, and pay intimate attention to because we've got client money with it. Uh, was down in uh, uh, July for the first time in like forever because they had senior debt, very good high quality debt that was marked down in price. And they had subordinated debt that wasn't marked down because it wasn't selling. So there wasn't, so there wasn't any, they couldn't get a price to mark it down. Now eventually you get a price for that and, and, and so the you know the the couple points that this fund shockingly to them lost, they'll make it back when they finally get a price for the stuff they were short. But but you know you just had all of these very very uh, uh, weird pricing allocations, mispricing uh, mispricings um, in, in in stuff that was just you know it was just perverse. It didn't operate. It's not just that it didn't operate as it should. It, Operated in the opposite way, so you made you lost money in both your longs and your shorts. It's it's, uh, weird. The very interesting piece that you've just written, called "The Panic of 2007," uh, remind reminds me and others and yourself, I'm sure, a lot of the Panic of uh, 1907, which the seminal event there was a run on the Knickerbocker Trust Bank, Mm -hmm. and some people have likened this uh, sort of problem with hedge funds is a run on hedge funds. Um, is that what we're seeing now? No. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's not. I mean, you're seeing a run on a very limited niche of hedge funds. What you're seeing a lo- is a run on is on leverage. Banks are, are repricing leverage and, and taking leverage. The, the, the lenders are, 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 are taking the leverage down. You're seeing a... Um, a let's call it a lender strike, if you will. Uh, they till they till they can you know like find out what the hell it is that we bought and, and who's rating the stuff and what is it and you know it's like I'm not going to give you any more money until you know it, this all gets sorted out. Um, I mean, if I'm an investor in a fund that requires seven times leverage in order to give me satisfactory returns. And I know that going forward I'm only going to get three to four times leverage, so that means that my returns are going to be, you know, all five to seven percent from what I was expecting. And the volatility's going up. Well, you know, I might decide I want to put my money to work somewhere else. Um, if I'm an investor in a fund that's leveraged by 40%, you know, they're, they're, you know, 
long 120 and, and short 40. Uh, and, you know, they're down five or six, but they're down because, you know, their value proposition is being screwed up, which means that it's going to come back. I'm probably not going to, to redeem from that fund. So I don't, I don't think, I mean, I, I've, I've spent the last two weeks calling around people saying, are you seeing a lot of redemptions? No. Well, you know, where are the redemptions coming from? They're coming from the big quant funds. Um, the guys that were in the global macro stuff, I mean, you know, are you, are you, do you think Tudor Jones forgot how to trade? You know, he's down 10 or 15 percent. Uh, I mean, he's been down 10 or 15 percent before. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of redemptions there. You'll see some of the fund of funds. Now, here's, here's some issues that are happening. Um, there are fund of funds that are leveraged four and five times to one, okay, uh, which is a lot of, and, and they are being, their leverage is, is being reduced which means that they're having to indiscriminately redeem from hedge funds. So if your fund is dependent upon fund of funds for your funding source, you may be getting uh, a redemption notices. It has nothing to do with whether you're a good fund or not. I mean, it, it, it's, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely some pressures, but I, I, it's not a, it's not an investor for, for the, Vast, vast, vast majority of hedge funds. It's not an investor-related uh, driven. The, the other interesting thing that was in the, the uh, panic of 2007 was a chart of the yen mm -hmm. showing a dramatic move mm -hmm. in the yen, uh, biggest move in nine years or something, I think. And I think biggest move ever for a major currency in two weeks. I mean, I, I suppose there's been some time in history that something like this happened, but... I just can't remember seeing it, you know, having looked at a lot of charts, and I don't know. I would actually be willing to make a, uh, you know, small side bet that there has never been a move this violent in a country in, in a currency that was a major funding source. I mean, you know, when you could borrow a yen at one percent and go long, you know, your 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 short yen and, and yen and long, you know, Australian uh, uh, or or uh, New Zealand or Canada currencies, and 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 getting that four to five percent spread and levered up five times. I mean, it's been a great trade for years and years, and all of a sudden, you're down ten percent on your 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 hedge. <clears throat> Whew. That's why you. That's why you're seeing you know some global macro funds this this month have, have are really hurting. But I'm I'm con confused about the fact that on one side, on the hedge fund side, we're seeing these losses, but. Um, Maybe another part of that trade that we were reading about in the papers here in London was the Japanese housewife. There was a picture in one of the big papers here with a woman sitting in a kimono, trading away at her screen at funny hours, trading in New Zealand currencies and whatever. And, uh, I mean, surely people in Japan who were involved in that trade one way or another were also burnt. But we haven't heard a single thing about losses in Japan. Well, it, 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 you're right, we haven't, and that puzzles me. 
of the currency trading in Japan is done by retail traders. That's a staggering, <laughs> staggering <laughs> number. Uh, and, and uh, you know, what side of the markets are they on? It's hard to say. But but let's let's look look at it from say if you're Mrs. Watanabe, and you've got you know half a million dollars that that's your pin, that's your retirement funds. What are you going to do? You're going to put it in 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 Japanese bonds, paying one percent? You can't live on that. So what they were doing is they were going out and investing in you know all sorts of stuff that could make six, eight, ten percent in bonds. Okay. So if they're down 11% on their, their yen trade, they're still saying, I still can't, you know, pulling it back in, taking the losses. I'm still, you know, what am I going to do? Put it in 1% money here? I still got to have that 8% in order to live. So effectively, they're down 10% on their income, but it still makes sense for them in a low yen interest rate environment to find um, um, uh, higher sources of, of uh, uh, so if I think another possible reason, Michael, why you might not have heard that much about losses is that when people do lose, particularly individuals, they go to ground. It's not something they shout about. They tend to, I mean, psychologically, you're more likely to shout when you're winning, and and lie low when you're losing. So the, the, the chain of that trade would be Mrs. Watanabe uh, is holding, uh, instead of Japanese currency, she's holding some kind of instrument, uh, maybe a, a promise from a bank to pay her uh, New Zealand or some other currency. And then on the other side of that bank is uh, something else. So Mrs. Watanabe is not facing credit risk the same way or, or uh, uh, funny security risk the same right, way. Right, right. I mean, I mean, you know, as long as she didn't invest in some subprime fund, which uh, is unlikely, I haven't is, heard. Well, of I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say unlikely, but because I'm sure we'll hear the stories of it, um, and, and, and they'll blame the the, the bad American uh, uh, rating agencies for you know some lady in Japan getting wiped out, which maybe should be blamed, um, but. They're, they're I mean, but, but it's it's individual, so it's not a it's not funds that are getting blown up. So it's unlikely for us to hear about it. But what about the two really huge players of of, uh, of the world now? Who, Japan being one, uh, they're the second, and China being the other. They're the first in terms of their holdings of U.S. dollar assets and their mm -hmm. reserves. I mean, China. I mean, I, I live in Hong Kong, so China we hear has one point. Uh, Three. Uh, three trillion dollars, of which uh, growing seventy at, or eighty growing percent. Growing at, at, at four hundred million a year. So that's a very that's a big, year, maybe eight hundred billion dollars of, uh, and some of that we know is in U.S. Treasury. Some of it is in Fannie and Freddie, but some of it might be in funny securities as well. Well, that's the rumors I've heard. Um, but okay. China being down a billion or two billion dollars is a rounding error. That, that, that's 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 just a bad day in the markets for them. But <laughs> I mean, you know, are they going to come back? I mean, are they going to come back and buy uh, U.S. Treasury AAA? U, or, sorry, U.S. Treasuries, yes. But are they going to buy something with a AAA stamped on it anymore? Uh, no, because it's a career-ending decision for the bureaucrat that does. 
you know, you, you're, you're allowed, you, you can probably get one gotcha, but you don't get to do it twice. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, I was writing about it, uh, I think I quoted, you know, the, the uh, I forget what bureaucrat it was, it was like an assistant secretary of of housing or something like, you know, in the U.S. It was over in China, actually, uh, here like six weeks ago, doing a tour t telling them why they should buy more uh, 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 Ginnie May bonds, which are basically government-backed uh, uh, securities, but they're they're wanting to, to get the, the Chinese to buy more. And it was like, you know, has it come to this? We have to go to China to beg for money. I mean, this is, they're just, you know, it's just something seems wrong <laughs> about that. But it's, you know... Um, so this 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 business of buying treasury, uh, you know, of buying U.S. securities anyway, was a recycling operation where mm -hmm. excess dollars were being uh, recycled back to the U.S., going into the housing market, and then housing people were uh, taking loans against their, uh, you know, American consumers were taking homes against their uh, loans against their homes, and some of what they were buying was U was Chinese uh, imports from China. Well, it was a form of vendor finance. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but do they need, do they need America anymore? Why don't they do oh, that yeah, with their did. own people? Uh, oh no no no! They they absolutely have to have uh, uh, American exports. Uh, I mean, the, the, maybe in fifteen or twenty years, you know, they don't. But absolutely, the day they have to. Um, and an interesting thing we've watched the you know the. Chinese yuan uh, has has actually traded back down so rather than it kept you know it's been just like this little very straight three percent four percent appreciation because you know the U.S. Senate is pounding the table about it perversely I might add economic idiots for doing so they're basically going to the American consumer and say we think you should pay thirty percent more for all your stuff you get from China. Yeah, that's that. And that won't be inflationary, and, and we wanted to do it all at once too. Instead of just, you know, taking it over three or four years, let's just do it all at once. Which uh, just goes to show that there's just no end of economic idiocy in politicians. Uh, I'm, I know I'm in England, but, but uh, oh, listen, we we, we, we specialize in that. You've got your own economic <laughs> idiots in in your government over here. How uh, dare maybe. you say that? Uh, um, I've read some of the stuff they put out. Uh, it, it's, uh, but 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 we have we have we have a very very special, unique brand of bipartisan idiocy. It's not just one party, and, and it's just not the Democrats. It's we have Republicans, and they're they're all pandering to their. Uh, particular whatever union that he is, or there—it's just—it's—it's it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, so anyway, you—I'm—I'm you, I'm, I'm digressing. You want to get a couple of other pertinent questions? Well, it, it, the, the, the title of the show, John, is is, is uh, commodity watch radio, and um, to me, mm -hmm. let's talk about various commodities briefly. To me, some of the gold shares are looking. Uh, very cheap and good value at the moment. They, they've taken quite a big hit mm -hmm. over the last month. Are you a gold bug? No. Um, I used to be. Uh, I used to actually publish a newsletter on gold. And, and uh, when I sold it sometime in 85, 86, or whenever it was, I sold it. And I, I wrote all my subscribers at the time. 
you know, at, uh, this, by the way, will, will prove to be the bottom for gold is what I'm selling out. And it turned out it was a top. Um, it was interim top. It was like 500 or something. Um, I've come to see view gold as a uh, neutral currency. Um, and so am I bullish on gold? Yes. I think gold is going to continue to go up because I think paper currencies, is, at least vis-a-vis -vis the dollar, is going to begin to go down. So, so I'm bullish on gold, but I'm not a gold bug in the sense of I think there's something, um, you know, intrinsic to the metal itself that you know, and I, I don't see three thousand dollar gold. I don't want a, a world that would have three thousand dollar gold. It's not a very pleasant world. No. Um, I mean. Um, the 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 uh, um, but but I but I am I am you know long term bullish on the metal because I think it's a neutral currency. Uh, would I be if I'm going to invest in gold? I'd rather do it through the stocks because you get the gearing mechanism. Um, I'm, I'm not much of a let's. I mean I think you should have everybody ought to have a little insurance gold stuck back over in the corner somewhere a few points. You know that's your your bolt hold money. Um, but uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not. Do you, do you see them as a buy here? Um. What's your time horizon? Um, if your time horizon is three five years, absolutely. Uh, well, let's say. If, if your well, time horizon is three to four weeks, I don't know. Okay, there you go. I mean, I mean that. What uh, about uh, silver? Um. Are you more bullish on gold than silver? Or? Yeah, yeah, I would be because I, I and, and that may not be reflective. I just don't see silver is more of a commodity than it is a currency. Um, I mean, it used to be a currency, but it's no longer a currency. So, uh, to you know, silver is going to reflect the fundamentals, which will be be up and down. But long term, we're we're not producing as much as we're consuming, so. I mean that says that a longer term, there's probably a uh, uh, upward pressure on, uh, on prices. But that's, you know, you can say the same thing about you know tin and zinc and, and, and uh, uh, potash. So <laughs> it's it's uh, I, I I think there's a general increase in demand for the world for commodities and, and increasing pressure on supply. So that's why. I'd, you know, I'm bullish on energy. Uh, do I think oil's going to $100 uh, sometime next decade? Yeah, absolutely. Sometime next year? Uh, could be. It's, it, you know, you get one Nigerian blow up and yeah, it's $100, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm a little confused because I had written down a question here and yeah. I thought you answered it with the gold. And here's the question. <laughs> um, which is more likely, higher inflation or deflation? And I think if you're not bullish on gold, then you're probably saying that maybe deflation is more likely than high inflation. But now you're talking about energy prices going up. Well, so but energy prices are a smaller and smaller component of overall uh, world consumption. I mean, even though we're paying more for our energy, it actually, uh, at least in, in most of the developed world, it's becoming a smaller portion of, of overall GDP because we're becoming more efficient. Um, here's a little side uh, uh, tidbit uh, that 
most of your European listeners would not be interested uh, thing. In terms of carbon emissions last year, the U.S. went down while Europe went up. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'd say you don't, you know, even though we're not uh, a uh, subscriber to the Kyoto Protocol, we've actually become more, because of our drive to become more efficient, um, and, and, and there is a push uh, in a large part of the United States from the EPA to, to clean things up. Um, I can only suggest that the reason for that is Eastern European growth. No, it's Western. This is Western European. Eastern Europe. If you close Eastern European in, then then it becomes even more pronounced. It's just, um, uh, you know, now it, it's different levels, and we're still, you know, one of the world's largest polluters. Um, but there's 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 a lot of pressure in the U.S. to uh, create more energy efficient, coal efficient. Uh, uh, you know, clean coal, uh, uh, you know, type things. Uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm bullish on the price of coal. Um, I, I've seen a statistic that suggests that Americans use um, this is barrels of, of oil per American, and over what period? I'm, I'm, you know, there's some debate, but it's 68, uh, and the similar figure for for the UK is 38. Mm -hmm. So Americans, and I think it has a lot to do with the, suburb, the suburban infrastructure that exists in America. That oh. Americans, by nature, have to drive a lot. No, no question, and we drive big cars. And we drive um, big cars. I mean, uh, low taxes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, I, I I look at if if our if our gas prices were what they were here, you know, in in uh, uh, London, I look at it. I mean, it's like eight dollars a gallon. Nine. I mean, we're 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 moaning and groaning at, at two seventy to three dollars, ten dollars a gallon. Okay, is that is that right? Ten dollars. Yeah. I mean, at, at ten dollars a gallon, we would all be driving Volkswagens too. <laughs> or, or, or those small cars, because you know. Uh, but surely, uh, high, higher oil prices would be a great way of getting American uh, emissions and carbon footprints uh, smaller. Well, I mean, I I, I wrote uh, uh, a whole e-letter here a couple of years ago that hundred-dollar oil is not the problem; it's a solution. And uh, uh, I mean, you, you you start seeing tons of substitutions for di of different types of energy. Um, I mean, it, of course, the the things that we do to try to do to be a green are stupid. Uh, we, we go to ethanol, uh, corn-based ethanol, which is just like one of the dumbest things in the world, rather than sugar-based ethanol. But you know, there are no Brazilian voters in the Senate. Okay, uh, there are a lot of of corn state. Uh, Senators and and you know you so wait, we when get Ronaldinho goes to LA Galaxy that'll change everything. And, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was, that, that confused <laughs> me. It was a football reference. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, when when you know. I bet when a, when a great Brazilian soccer player goes to play for the same team that David Beckham's gone to play. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that did Beckham go play for Galaxy? Galaxy, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, all I know is that Beckham was supposed to come to Dallas and he was hurt, so he didn't play, and they had the place things sold out, and he didn't even show up. So, <laughs> so, uh, um, but uh, uh, it uh, uh, he he has he has something quite quite. Quite something of the phenomenon, you know. He, he has he has gotten them a lot of publicity. 
But if, if, if higher oil is, is the solution and not the problem, no. um, how long before uh, politicians um, get it the right way around? Um, you know, it, 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 sitting here overseas, and I've seen this political debate going on in America, I'm American, um, I just I can't believe that they're talking about all the wrong issues, and sometimes they've got like you know getting the uh, the uh, renminbi stronger. They've got things completely backwards. Um, one of our one of the people we, that was interviewed by Dominic was Doug Casey, and he was talking about how America needed a big whack on the side of the head before it would actually look at, and that might be higher energy prices or some type of prices, so that things are done in the right order and people look at the real issues. Um, I'm wondering if, if, if you see any signs of hope in, in this political uh, debate we're seeing in the, at the moment. In the political debate, no. I'm, I'm, you know, disclaimer here, I was on the state executive committee for the Republican Party in Texas for many years. Um, and I know a lot of politicians and, you know, sat in a room with Carl Rove dozens of times, you know, because back when he was still in Texas and so forth and so on. Uh, Ron Paul? Huh? Ron Paul? Oh, I know Ron well. Um, He's very I popular mean, amongst the, some The libertarian, listeners. oh yeah, I mean, Ron's a great guy. Um, but I'm probably more pessimistic today about the political discourse and debate that I have been in 25 years. Um, I mean, we're going to have to see some, uh, and Doug's, Doug's right, a, a whack on the head. Um, and we're going to get one. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, so we'll, I mean, It'll happen, but it, it's it's going to happen a lot slower, and a lot. It's going to be because of pain, yeah, uh, and response to it. I mean, we don't politicians everywhere don't seem to res to do things what they need to do. They do what they, you know, uh, what's emotionally acceptable to the electorate, and generally people prefer to to um, postpone their pain rather than you know trying to. Let's fix the problem up front. So that's just the way it is. In China, there, there's a perception of, of uh, that America needs to sort of treat China differently, and uh, it needs to consume a bit less, um, although they love selling things to America, so they have kind of mixed feelings about that. But um, they, they see big American cars, and they'd like to have some more in China. But if they start driving big American cars over there, there's no way that we can have two Americas uh, driving cars and consuming resources. Well, in some I mean, way. But when you start, when it starts costing $150 to, you know, uh, fill up your Ford F-150, those, those good old boys will start changing their driving habits. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's having an effect now, and it'll have have more of an effect. Um, I mean, hundred dollar oil. All of a sudden, prices prices go to four dollars. Um, and every time every time it ratches up, 
But it's, uh, it's, if, it's, if, it's a funny debate because they talk about, well, will it stop before the pain threshold is hit? And it, it seems like it, it has to hit the pain threshold, whatever it is. It won't stop before well, it's so, No, no, it does. I mean, that's just the way. And I think the pain threshold would be higher than $4. It may be. I think people value their, their 4 by 4s too much. Because people drive from here in London. You know, they still drive. And we have punitive petrol costs here, and they're still driving. John, have you have you seen uh, UK or London pr property prices? Have you had a chance? Oh yeah, to I, 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 yeah. Well, everything in UK. I mean, I, I, I'm wearing a pair of Italian shoes right now. Very Maybe nice, too. They're very very nice Italian shoes. But you good buy, shoes for radio. You you you. <laughs> but if you buy these shoes in London, you pay twice what you do in Texas. I mean, it's just. I mean, I I I look I look, I come over here and, and I look at what we paid for lunch today, and it was perfectly reasonable lunch if you priced it in dollars, in 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 pounds, you know it was you know just this extravagant number. Every I I just have to close my eyes when I'm and I love London because you know, we've got a business here. I come here three times a year and, and you know travel all over Europe and. and um, but it's it's just hard for me to rationalize the prices. And know that I think the dollar is going. I'm bearish on the dollar long term, and I think it's it's going to go down <laughs> even more. Uh, I just I, I I don't quite understand. But it. the papers here will tell us that we shouldn't worry uh, about contamination from uh, the mortgage problems in in the U.S. That they're not going to spread over here to the U.K. It's a different market. If you go if you start making bad loans, you're going to end up. Uh, it's going to come back to haunt whoever's balance sheet that ends up with those ultimate loans. If you were putting new money to work now, where would you be putting it? Um, I'd talk my own book. I'd put it into hedge funds. But if I was putting... Uh, I'm always looking for, for you know new managers, new traders. But um, I mean, which sectors? If you're talking five-year money, uh, I still like energy. Um, I like uh, uh, metals. Metals to some degree. I like emerging markets. Um, I like a, 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 a basket of um, uh, companies in emerging markets that make things that, if you drop them, would hurt your foot. You know, you know the the guys that that are the tool makers to the growth. Um, I'm a, a um, big biotech fan. It's a tough market, but I, I think biotechnology is going to be the the, uh, the real boom of the next decade. We're just now getting ready to see the biotech wave kick in. Uh, what about alternative energy? Uh, alternative energy is going to be huge uh, because, as we were talking, the dollar goes to I mean, gold uh, oil goes to a hundred dollars and. Natural gas goes to 10, you know, whatever. It's going to make alternatives work. Um, and uh, I, I think there's a demand for it. And so, especially as you can, you know, get new technologies for solar and, and, and uh, biomass conversions and that type of thing. And uh, you told us before the interview began that you're working on a book on, uh, on what the world, on, on 2027, what the world's going to be like in 20 mm -hmm. years' time. In two minutes, describe the world. There'll be uh, 
ubiquitous wireless connections um, will routinely think that anything under 100 megabits is slow and on, our, on our wireless systems. Uh, what is normal now? What's normal? Normal is like uh, 500k to a megabyte. So, so we'll be, we'll be yeah, we're talking. I mean, you know, you know, dial-up used to be 28k when when we were first getting on 10 years ago. We'll think of today's speeds, you know, two to three megabytes. Our DSL, our cable, that's going to be dial-up. Um, it'll be. Uh, uh, we'll routinely people uh, will be routinely living 10 to 15 years longer. Uh, and uh, uh, they do. I mean, it's so life insurance companies will be doing better because they won't have to pay all this much. Um, the 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 uh, scanners will be scanning um, in ten to twelve years, not just twenty. They'll be scanning your body real time, so you'll be they'll be going in and finding uh, if there's a problem with you. It'll be you know on the cellular level. I mean, this this is this is pretty cool stuff because we're watching the same curve as we saw on chips in terms of scanning speeds. So it'll be three-dimensional. They'll be able to go in and say, ah, you got a little plaque here. Let's go in and rotor-rooter it. But they'll do it with, with uh, uh, nanobots. Um, I mean, that's, that's coming. Um, the heart disease, the heart attacks, the cancers, those, those type of things uh, are going to be going away. They'll be giving you uh, be drugs that you'll be taking that'll make your muscles uh, stay strong, uh, so that you won't have to work out as much to to be to to, to keep uh, active. By the way, that that that's in studies today because they're trying to attack muscular dystrophy and other things. It's not that they're trying to dope athletes. Um, side uh, thing, all of this stuff about steroids and and athletes. That's so nineties. I mean, we're going to get in the, by two thousand twenty. We're going to be be so beyond the stuff we've got today. That, that all of the we'll we'll look back on it go how quaint we worried about somebody taking steroids in in the uh, Tour de France uh, nanotech will will be kicking in um, I mean there'll be tons of small machine I mean the the the, the political world will be devolving into smaller entities uh, we'll have um, society will start organizing along uh, interest groups. That uh, become transnational. Our neighborhoods, uh, because of the telecommunications thing, I mean, you're not going to be able to talk over the phone, video, face to face, high def, none of this herky jerky stuff. So we're going to be able to look at each other just like you and I are looking at each other now. Private you know, currencies? Uh, private currencies. Fewer currencies for sure, doubtful that there's private currencies. Because just, I mean, that's the reality of, of uh, I mean, you can create a private currency, but it's got to have enough heft and size to it. Um, you'll see um, things that look more like guilds uh, that will develop worldwide, because as we become more global, and, and as, as everybody, everybody in the world has access to the Internet, cheap, 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 um, now we're communicating globally. How do I know who you are? Okay, well, we'll start forming groups that vouch for each other. I mean, you know, and and uh, being a member of X group or 
or or guild or how, whatever you want to call it. call it because it used to be you know in, in the 14 in, in, in the middle ages if you're a member of a guild you could go from one uh, area to another and you were you were, you were by being a member of the guild you were on the team and you were vouched for by the guys back at home uh, that's going to become important credibility is going to become monster uh, because well because there'll be less and less done locally and more done uh, worldwide it means we're going to be competing with everybody else in the world it's it's going to be it'll be an interesting fun time what are your kids going to learn chinese no what about food? i mean it's not that i don't want them to they're just not because the chinese are are learning english uh, i mean it's i'm going all over europe i speak constantly in in english and it's i mean it's just one of those embarrassing things that that Americans, we don't typically don't learn second languages because everybody speaks and has learned ours. What about um, population growth and food? And uh, population growth slows down, food production goes up. Um, I mean, uh, there's a lot of countries that will be going, especially in you know Russia, Europe, will start seeing negative growth in their populations. Uh, it's going to create monster demographic pressures, pension pressures. Um, uh, European governments will not be able to fund their, their pension and health care promises that they made to their public. Um, you guys, well, well, thanks to Maggie Thatcher, you guys have a, have a different situation uh, here in the UK. Um, but uh, Europe... European governments in 10, 15 years, they're toast. They will not be able to make their, their uh, promises and they're going to have to restructure uh, their pensions, their uh, all of their programs. What are the going implications to be, for the currency going to be then? Uh, I've said for I said five years ago that I, or, that I thought the euro would eventually go to a buck fifty. It was about 90 cents. And would go all the way back to one, all go all the way back to parity, because I think but there's going to be serious on the dollar. A long, first, yeah, midterm, but but uh, but at some point, uh, that that bearishness, the dollar gets knocked down enough, that and, and the value proposition changes, and Europe starts having problems. I see. And the pound? So, uh, it's already irrational. Uh-huh. The, the markets can stay irrational longer than than, than you can stay solvent. Uh, if I'm bullish on currencies, I'm bullish on the Asian currencies. Um, so, anyway. John Mulden, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time, and um, do talk to me again. We'll do it. Thank you. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight, with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.